Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, and here we are at episode number 45 already. And if you'd believe it, we're going to have another Hall of Famer on the program. We've already had on Ken Holland, we've already had on Jerome McGinley, and now we're going to follow it up with Willie O'Ree, uh, Hall of Famer inducted in 2018 in the Builder category. And if you don't recognize the name Willie O'Ree, Kind of shame on you a little bit, but don't feel too bad because I think that's actually really special because you're going to hear from a man who changed our game Uh, because Willie was the first ever black player to play in the NHL. He broke the NHL color barrier and some have referred to him as the Jackie Robinson of hockey and he accomplished this feat on January 18th, 1958 where he put on the sweater of the Boston Bruins. Uh, Willie went on to play another 44 games with them uh, in different seasons and played 21 years of professional hockey. But uh, it's just really, really interesting, his story. To be the first at anything is amazing. And to do what he did at the time when he did it uh, was a true pioneer and trailblazer in the sport. And it took a really really unique personality to be able to accomplish that because there was so many things that Willie had to overcome uh, on his journey to the NHL for sure uh, but also just to play pro hockey in a you know right now it's criticized as being not diverse enough and rightfully so you know it is a white man's sport when you look at the television uh, but you do see some ethnicities out there you do see some minority representation but we have to remember, 1958, like that was just not the case at all. So every single place that Willie went, he was instantly recognized as being different. He was instantly recognized as being, uh, you know, a foreigner, a stranger, a minority, and uh, and he was reminded of every day. Uh, he'll he'll tell some of those stories that this is, uh, you know, his passion to be a hockey player. Uh, was so was so bright it burnt so bright that he he would overlook and look through and overcome all these things that he faced Uh, and like I said the the NHL recognized him back in 1998 and was given the role of NHL's diversity ambassador this is when he was 73 years old Uh, Willie is still in great shape now 85 and uh, and he was traveling around increasing the the game uh, the diversity in the game he was speaking to young young athletes all over the place trying to introduce them to hockey and exposing them to our great sport and and trying to get more kids involved in the game uh, he's been a true ambassador of the sport he is a class act uh the nhl i said acknowledged well not the nhl the hall of fame acknowledged him in 2018 and the nhl acknowledged him in the same year by introducing uh, an annual award in his name naming na- uh, named the willie o'ree community hero award which is given to somebody who exemplifies great service and uh, and contribution in the community uh, in the name of hockey. Uh, we were lucky enough to have on Dampy Brar, who won that award this year and who actually got me on to Willie O'Ree's story and had me digging in, which had me reach out to the NHL, uh, have a, comment, a conversation with the NHL. They have uh, kind of, you'd call handlers, I guess, of, of Willie and, and who he speaks to and what he does. And they put me in touch in Willie, with Willie and Willie was, uh, was super gracious in... Uh, 
in speaking with me. And now you have the benefit of listening to Willie. So here's a Hall of Famer. Here is a man who changed the game forever in the best way possible. Uh, he has an amazing story about playing all those games and all those years with one eye, which he kept secret, by the way. Nobody knew except for his sister, not even his parents. We get into all these crazy stories, um, the path that he had to had to uh, move, right? There was no path where he was. He had to make his own path, and he made the path for others, and the game's a better spot for it. So without further ado, I bring you 2018 Hall of Famer and one of the best class acts hockey has to offer in today's game, Mr. Willie O'Ree. I just want to add before we actually get right into the interview that for this interview, Willie and I weren't able to get face-to-face. Like I said, Willie had just experienced his 85th birthday, uh, just a mountain of a man when it comes to his memory, with his comes to articulation and everything else. But I know many of us are technologically challenged in this day and age. And it was difficult to be able to set Willie up with a Zoom call. So we had to do an old three-way phone conversation which was facilitated by the NHL which obviously I'm super grateful for but there was a little bit of a delay there was a little bit of a lag and it was hard to see you know when Willie was going to speak or if he was going to speak so for me there was a bit of challenges trying to administer the interview I still am super proud of the interview I thought Willie and I overcame the technical challenges that were there but just while you're listening if if it sounds like you know maybe we're speaking over each other a couple times or if there is a little bit of delay or if Willie's a little bit hard to hear please bear with it have patience uh, it was the best that we could do and Willie is definitely worth with your time uh, and your respect to, to hear his story and, and, and you can carry his story to wherever you travel in the hockey world. I know it's going to make you a better person when you travel there. So I uh, just wanted to give you that heads up and uh, enjoy the rest of the interview. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just... Maybe if you have a second, I'll just explain kind of the genesis of of how I ended up reaching out. Uh, I'm I'm an ex NHLer myself too. Uh, you ended up playing four more games than than I did. I played 41 and uh, oh oh gosh. <laughs> and uh, it was a second round draft pick and kind of you know things didn't work out as far as from the NHL how I wanted them to. But I ended up playing yeah. 10 years professional and and now I'm oh I'm, oh good. I've uh, I've come back to the game now as as a coach and kind of as a mentor and like I said my three boys are are young 11 10 and 8 and uh, oh my yeah so it's a really fun age I mean it's really yeah, I'm sure you remember what it was like at that age where, you know, the, the NHL and the players in it, everything is just sort of larger than life and they're they're really loving hockey and their participation in it and and oh um, yeah well it's a great sport yeah, no, amazing. And 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 part of what I'm doing now is I got this podcast and and the podcast has been has been quite successful. I I I was traded a lot Willie when I was playing, so I I ended up having a lot of teammates and a lot of coaches, so my network is was pretty big. So I got a lot of really great names on and and this past year with as you know everything going on around the NHL and just, you know, society in general uh with the black lives matter movement and everything else the the convert the conversation and the topic uh led to diversity and and race in hockey and what we can do you might i spoke with kevin weeks jerome mcginlin's been on the show uh, peter warrell 
uh, many players that I used to play with. And uh, and then I came across Dampy yeah. Brar. I'm sure you remember D- Dampy. Do you remember that name? Oh, Dampy Brar, yeah. Yeah, he won the Community Award a couple years ago. I know what a what an amazing uh, honor that was for him. So I interviewed him, and that was just it last year. Yeah, yeah, it was this I year. Yeah. yeah, just last year. Yeah, 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 yeah twenty twenty. So he had some amazing things to say about you, and so like my head has been going around, like, well, how how can I help? You know, someone like you know a, a white a white guy with white kids in kind of a white town in Canada. How, how do well, I help? Well, color has nothing to do with it, Jason. Right. Really. Yeah, it's just uh, one of trying to get more kids into hockey, and uh, you know, teaching them, teaching them the right fundamentals of the, of the sport. That's and, and is that is that what you feel like? Is that your greatest uh, mission or goal at this stage? Is is it just getting more kids involved? Getting more kids involved, yeah, and then letting them letting them know that there is another sport that they can play. Um, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these kids. Um, I live in communities where they're not uh, uh, handy to a rink, you know, and, and uh, they would like to play hockey, but they, they just don't have the transportation. But um, once we get once we get these kids, once we get these kids on the ice, the one thing about the program is the volunteers. If it wasn't for the volunteers, the program couldn't they w- they wouldn't exist because these volunteers um, they go and pick these um, these boys and girls up from the home and bring them to the rink for practice to play and then make sure that they get back to their home safely. And uh, that's, that's the big thing. And then, and then the cost, you know, hockey's uh, it's a very expensive sport. Yeah. I mean, exactly. That's a big barrier for, for a lot of families. Uh, and we definitely want more people playing and, and I guess oh, that, I mean, yes. It must be twofold, right? Because, you know, we hear the stories of, you know, your own personal stories uh, growing up and playing and the stories of the athletes mm-hmm. now, like, like Jerome McGinley. And, and I feel that there is a place, I mean, one, it needs to be a safe place too. We need to get people in the rinks, but it also needs to, to be a safe place once once they get there. And, uh, oh, that's true. They're yeah. Very true. And I think that the coaches and the athletes involved and the parents involved, I mean, I think that maybe there is a place, you know, where where we need to recognize, I guess, that difference. And that's one of the conversations that I've had with my sons after speaking with people like Kevin Weeks and Nathan Lafayette and these, and these people, because when I was playing hockey, Willie, with these, with these uh, guys, they were just teammates. They were my teammates, right? They were, they were hockey players on exactly. my team. And it didn't even cross my mind, to be honest, that their experience might somehow be different than mine. I just thought that we were both trying to get to the same place and, you know, we're both doing the same things. And then, having those conversations was eye-opening to me because everything that they did being the only black person in a, in a white locker room was different for them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I felt, I felt poorly about myself afterwards, like not recognizing that in the moment. And, and I think these conversations and the ones I'm having with my son, sons and, and outside of that on this platform do, do matter because, recognizing that I think us like the human nature of ourselves being better people can now make that experience uh, more equitable or yeah. more fair or more inclusive like in the locker room or when people show up at the rink. Do you, do you agree that we do have a place yeah. in that? Yeah, I do. Do, do you, uh, you think they have problems with uh, playing? I'm sorry. Do your sons have problems, facial problems playing when they're playing? Um, no, we, we, 
they haven't experienced that at all, you know, and, and, uh, but mind you, like I said, we are in an area where, where we are in a, in a white demographic, like we don't, there isn't too many minorities, especially, uh, right. you know, uh, we do have Asian, Asian Canadians and, and, uh, and Indian Canadians and, and, and those, right. you know, and, and so, so there's minorities, there's a girl on Hudson's team, uh, you know, with a minority, but we don't, we, there's not many black people in our community and definitely not, definitely not many black people that are playing hockey. So like that doesn't, uh, come up. Right. Um, so, but I think one of the interesting parts of the conversation is that a minority is, is, um, is a minority and recognizing that, um, from a place of the majority is beneficial. Um, I know, I know Hudson, like I said, my oldest at 11, uh, we've had conversations about the girl on this hockey team. She's an amazing hockey player. She's a great, she's a great piece in that locker room and she's a massive benefit to these boys in the locker room. But even talking about to him about, Hey, you know, that this girl is the only girl. How do you think she feels in that locker room? Right? Like, how do you think, what do you think she's going through? Um, so I really, I really, I love the conversations that that your story has has uh, inspired, you know, around around my house and I know in other houses. And I thought that being able to chat with you today um, on your thoughts on, you know, your journey, what you think the the barriers are now would be really helpful to people. Well, I think, you know, it's it's a lot different back then, you know, 60 years ago, you know, 65 years ago when I broke in. Um, I'm just not that much broken to the NHL. Um, you know, I was the only black, I was the only black player there, but there were only six teams, which is, you know, the original six, there were, you know, two from Canada and four from the United States. And, um, I ran, I ran into a lot of, um, uh, racial, racial problems when I played and when I played in, in the States, uh, especially, you know, three or four of the cities there. I, I took it upon myself, and I have to I have to thank my older brother, who was not only my brother and my friend, but he was my mentor, and he taught me a lot of things that I would need to know if I was going to choose hockey as a career. And the first thing he says, well, he says, you know, you're you're going to be uh, subject to name calling um, because people have never seen a black a black hockey player on the ice before. And he says, you know, what you have to do is you just have to take it upon yourself, you know. If these people can't accept you for the individual that you are, because at the time I had the skills and ability to play in the league, and um, you know, after after I left the league, but you know, when I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I don't see a brown man or a black man, just a man, and I think that that's the way a lot of people have to have to look upon these hockey players, these players of color, and the, and the black players that are in the they're in the league, and the ones that are retired, the ones that you mentioned. They were there because they had the skill and the ability to be there. And they worked hard and they proved that they could play in the National Hockey League. And now these kids that these kids that are uh, are coming up, uh, they look at a lot of these a lot of these players as role models, you know. And they look upon they look upon them and say, "Gosh, I could I could be a, a Joe McGinn or, or I could be a um, Kevin Weeks or uh, whatever." Mm-hmm. And uh, I I just think um. A lot of people have to be re-educated. They they really do. These people that go go to their games and and make racial slurs and racial remarks towards these towards these players, you know, um, they're, they're racist people. They they you won't change them. They're, they're, that's just, that's just the way they are. 
and um, uh, I'm 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 so glad now that they 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 put in um, um, some things in the league that you know a lot of these uh, these um, fans that make racial remarks and racial slurs towards players they're ejected from the ring, and they should be. They should be. If they can't go there and watch you watch a game and, and look upon just each each player is just a hockey player, just another hockey player, and look beyond the color of his skin. You know, the one thing I learned from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he said, don't judge a person by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And there's a lot of truth to that when you think about it, you know. Like and that's... That. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I growing up, you know, I was I was a racial directed towards me, and I haven't played in the league since 1960. Uh, hmm. I was actually going to ask you that question about uh, about the Martin Luther King quote there, and uh, I think it's a beautiful a beautiful quote, and and I've heard you reference that in, in the past. Uh, the the last part, I, I I do speak quite a bit about character on this podcast when. When uh, when you read that quote or you hear that quote, the content of his character, what is what does character mean to you in that in that sentence? I or think to you character personally? means uh, how, how a person how how a person um, presents himself. Um, you know, when I when I was brought up, my uh, my parents my parents were were very strict on on um, being polite and uh, you know thanking thanking people when they give you something or you know if you walk in of a person, you know, excuse yourself and things like that. Just basic common sense things that, that a lot of these, a lot of these kids and a lot of these people, they, they don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. You, you know, you, you, it's going into the 21st century and, and, and some of these people, uh, uh, you know, it's just like taking one foot, one step forward and two back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the, the zero tolerance policy with, with the league and the fans, and I couldn't agree more with that. And I think that has to start in the youth ranks as well. Uh, exactly. again, I, I've never, I've never come across it personally as a coach yet. And hopefully I never do. Uh, but that is, that is something where I think the collective has to speak, uh, you know, f- for the minority there and, and stand it as a safe place. I know when I was speaking with Jerome on a recent, uh, episode, he said that that was one of the most impactful moments he had in his career as a young athlete was when somebody used a racial slur and it wasn't his mom or dad that that got up and defended him but it was somebody else on that team you know another father that went over and 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 you know said that that wasn't right and he said that meant that meant a lot to know that he was protected and to know that people cared and um yeah i I just really hope that like the the conversations that are happening now is is reckon is making people recognize that you know we can't be quiet i guess in 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 our we can't yeah we can't I mean, if, you know, I, I, uh, I have coffee um, um, with uh, with some friends, uh, you know, we social distance, and I wear a mask and everything. You know, it's uh, it's at a Starbucks, you know, behind it is a an outside behind it, umbrellas, you everything, you know, and mm-hmm. there's all kinds of you know people come into the uh, into the restaurant, into the Starbucks to buy coffee and stuff, you know, and I sit there, I'm I'm the only black person in this group, and. Um, it's not because of who I am. It's because of, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a black man. And I've had, I've had um, incidents where, you know, a black person comes in and, uh, and um, there's been a racial slur and a racial remark, which, uh, you know, goes towards him. And I just, I just stood up and, and uh, I just cut it right in. And it says, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you put, you know, 
walk in his shoes for a day and see how, how you feel. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's been times and times again, you know, you just have to, you just have to stand up and, and let them know who you are. And you just can't stand for that type of um, um, language. Yeah, I agree with you, and it, and it shouldn't just be your voice in there either, right? It should be it should be the collective. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, in, in researching you, I watched I watched your your movie, the documentary, uh, very very well oh, done. The documentary. Yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> really, really, we had really a lot well of fun done. doing it. Yeah, good for you. And found out you were the youngest of thirteen. Um, I, I think yeah. that's an interesting part of your story, just in of itself, because I. I see with my three boys, my, my youngest just turned eight yesterday, actually, Willie. So he has these two older brothers that he's running around trying to catch and chase and, you know, getting right. beat up by and everything else. So I, I see the dynamic in that. I couldn't imagine being the youngest of 13. Do you think that made you a little a little tougher uh, growing up? I I believe so. And, um, you know, when I go, you know, most of my uh, uh, brothers and sisters have, have moved away, married, moved away. And there's just my, my younger sister, Betty who was um, two years older than me, um, uh, living at home. And, uh, you know, but um, as, as I mentioned, my, uh, my older brother, Richard, who played hockey, um, you know, so he also uh, was a boxer. But uh, he, uh, he taught me a lot, and um, I had the pleasure of playing, uh, playing with him, with him on, uh, on a few games. He was, he was 14 years older than me. 14 years older than 14, 16 years older than me, but you know, um, he just, he just, he knew the type of individual that I was because, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, playing, playing sport, he knew the, what I could take and, uh, what, when things bothered me and he, he was always, he was always there to, you know, to help me out. And, uh, I credit, I credit my brother for the, um, the total years that I was able to play, not only in the National League, but uh, the 21 years I played pro. And, um, um, you know, he's passed, he's passed on. But um, every day, every day I always think about, you know, um, the times that he had, he had taken to uh, to work with me. And because he, he knew what I wanted to do. And uh, he knew the burning fire um, within me. And, um uh, he just um, he just said, you know, work hard. There's no substitute for hard work. He says you only get out of thing once you put into it. And he says if you go out and work 40 percent, don't expect 60 or 70 percent. Only only expect the 40 percent. And so, uh, and then again, you know, uh, going to training camps. One of my first uh, junior training camp. Um, you know, I was the only I was the only you know the black kid there. Um, I took it upon myself to say, when I go to camp, uh, if they're going to choose 20, 20 or 22 players on the roster, I'm going to be one of the 22 regardless of what I have to do, save harder or score more goals or check harder or something. And that instilled me. And um, every time I went to training camp, you know, I made the team. And I was traded later on, but I, you know, I made the initial team. And um, that's you know, those are the things I still... I still work with today, you know, I still set goals for myself and, and work towards my goals and, you know, and then just believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself and, and like yourself. And if you, if you like yourself, other people are going to like you. But if you go around with, a, with an attitude, you know, uh, I don't expect many people would like to, you know, be in your company or, you know, be friends with you. 
Yeah, you you uh, you mentioned a lot of things there. Well, first, about your brother, and I know you've mentioned him lots, and and being a, a mentor. And as you know, you are a mentor for for tons of people now, and and, your, and with your story, and and what an impact a mentor can have on a career, on a person, on an individual. Is is that something that you take yeah. pride in in your work now of, of as being I a do. mentor for others? I do. Yeah, every day, every day, every day, I do. You know, I I haven't traveled since the. Uh, the first week of March due to this, you know, coronavirus thing. But, uh, you know, I was I was traveling around and uh, speaking at uh, numerous numerous schools, elementary, middle school, junior high, high school, yeah. boys and girls clubs, YMYWCA, juvenile detention facilities. And, you know, just trying to encourage more boys and girls to maybe to get into playing hockey. And, and, the, and the, the nice thing about it is just being honest with these kids, you know, and, um, you know, let them know that, you know, if you're not having fun, why pay a sport? Just, just to play it, uh, play another sport. And uh, a lot of these kids that, uh, that are playing, they're not, they're not going to make it to the NHL, although uh, a lot of them think they are. But that's, that's the thing. Just set goals for yourself and work towards your goal. And don't let anybody tell you. You can't attain your goal. And if you feel strongly within your heart, within your mind, um, that's all it takes. And yeah, I love. Doctor, I've heard you use that line before. Don't let anyone tell you what you can't do. And I think that's uh, that's such a powerful statement. And and I and I think is. that's you know that's a seems to me like that's a piece of you that that goes back. Even reading about your story there in Fredericton, you being the first one to enter that barber shop to get a haircut. Well, the barber shop, yeah, with Joe McQuaid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. Well, we had talked. You know, we had talked about it. You know. Uh, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't any going to fall shops in, you know, in Fredericton. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, the name is a very prominent name in Fredericton. You know, my, my brother was a doctor. I had one brother that played, played football. My sisters were basketball. And I played hockey, you know. So um, when I was growing up, uh, uh, Mr. McQuaid lived uh, five houses from where I lived. And... Um, you know, we just got on the conversation, and and, uh, and he said, "Well, yeah, but he says, hey, why don't you come?" He says, "I'll cut your hair, and get nice coach, and you know, in the back." And I used to go there and, and get my hair cut, and, and then I was, I think, it was seventeen, seventeen. This is before I left to go to play junior. You know, and we were just, you know, he was cutting my hair, and I just said, "Mr. Quaid," I said, "You know, uh, uh, what would you think if I uh, come into your barber shop and have you, um, you know, cut my hair?" And there was a there was a pause, and uh, he says, "Well, I, I don't know." He said, "But we've never had any, um, you know, black people come into our, our shop. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you." I said, "Well, um, I says, would you would you cut my hair if I if I come into your, come into your shop? Because there wasn't any signs saying, you know, and and then you know, signs stuff." <clears throat> Uh, about you know cutting the hair so just one day I just I walked in and there were four barber chairs and they were all they were all busy and uh, there were two other people waiting and there was a couple of empty chairs so I said I sat down in the, one of the empty chairs and one of the one of the barbers had just finished and uh, he looked in my looked in my direction and I said oh, I said I'm I'm waiting for Mr. McQuaid so I sat there another twenty minutes and then I 
I got into the chair. As soon as I sat in the chair, I, I started a conversation right at the meeting. I said, you know, hi, Mr. McLean, how's your day going? And so on, mm-hmm. because I knew, I knew from the people that were in the shop and the, the eye contact that I had made that they said, oh, my God, uh, what is this? So I just kept talking, and, I, and you know, I just rambled on, you know, and he cut my hair, and it was, there wasn't anything said. And uh, I walked out um, after, and I, I thanked Tatum, and I thanked him, and I walked out, and then I, I went to his home a couple of couple of days later, and um, you know, we talked with him, and and uh, he said that um, they were the barbers were astonished that um, that I that I came into the shop, and I said, well. What what was there feedback or you know did they did they make any comments on it? He said no, not really, but it just didn't have that uh, <laughs> feeling that you know a black person actually come into the come into the shop and <laughs> and cut their hair cut. Right, you shocked them. I love it. Well, I, yeah, but yeah. I I I knew. Uh, I, I knew from the expressions on their faces. I mean, they knew they uh, they knew me uh, because I, I, was, I was playing baseball and I was um, in Fredericton and and, and uh, playing some other sports. So they, they knew who I was. They just when they when they when they saw me, they it, it wasn't who I was. It was what I was. Right. Yeah. I I think. It takes a special person. I mean, you said you're, you know, you're the youngest of 13, uh, one of two black families that live in Fredericton, and you were the first one that made that move to want to go get your hair cut in the barbershop. And I think that says something about yeah. you. And, and obviously, I mean, it goes forward uh, to some of the other things that, that have happened. And uh, so it takes a, an, an individual with a personality like yours that you said right. you had to believe in your heart and your mind. You don't want to let anyone tell you what you can't do. Like all these things have to be a it's, real solid true. part of you, right? Yeah. To, for you to be able to do what you were yeah. doing there. Um, but there was one name that came up when I was looking into, um, you know, you mentioned your brother and then there's also a coach by the name of Phil Watson. And I believe that he told you. Um, My first junior coach. And he said that you had what it takes, didn't he? Yeah. He told me, he said, there hasn't been a black player in, in the NHL when he says you, you could be the first. Well, it kind of went in one ear and out the other, you know, because all, all I was interested in was, you know, uh, making the team and, and uh, you know, trying to represent the hockey club to the best of my ability. Because uh, I was the only black player, you know, on, on the team. And um, after Phil, when I'm stepping in the thing, I was, I was playing in Kitchener uh, with the Kitchener Waterloo Junior Connection. Uh, Jack Stewart was the coach. Black Jack Seward was the coach. And he told me the same thing when I was playing there. And it really didn't uh, it really didn't register with me, I think, till after the after the season, because I had played my last year junior. And um uh Panchem was the coaching general manager at the Quebec Aces, the professional team at Quebec. And uh, he called me and said, Willie, uh, this was after my my eye injury. You know, I came back and he says, I watched you play the last couple of years. And he says, I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to the uh, Quebec Aces training camp up in Quebec pro team. That's when it, that's when it kind of sunk in with me. I said, maybe, maybe, um, I could be. And, uh, 
went to the training camp. Uh, again, I was I was fearful of I was fearful of failing. I said, if I if I didn't make the team, how could I come back to my hometown and not only tell my parents but tell some of my close friends that I wasn't good enough. I I couldn't make the team. And um, so when I went up and um, you know um, I worked hard and made the team and uh, we won the we won the league that year. Um, we won. It was like winning the Stanley Cup in the National Hockey League. It was the highest award in that league. Then that gave me the extra confidence that I needed. I just told myself, I said, "Well, we can do anything you set your mind to do if you if you feel strongly within your heart and within your mind." And uh, you know, I forgot about being blind in my right eye. I just I just went out and played. And then yeah, yeah I switched over to right wing um, in '65, and that made a big difference. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I, I, uh, the belief, right. You talk about, you talk about you yourself believing and, and, you know, the fact that these coaches believed in you and your brother believed in you. I, I, I do yeah. as much of a pioneer as you were and a maverick in your own way. I mean, there needs, there's other people that need to be involved in, in the journey, you know, that support you and, 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 you know, that help oh, you God, get you there. Right. I couldn't name them all. Yeah. And, I couldn't uh, name all yeah. the people that, that helped me along along the way. You know, when I, when I first started, um, I named some of them um, in my uh, in my speech in my uh, Hall of Fame speech. But there was uh, there was hundreds hundreds of other people um, that that really helped me and um, thought of you know thought and um, knew that you know I just had something special and. Uh, he was going to, um, you know, he was just going to work hard and attain his goal. Yeah. The, you mentioned your eye, and I, obviously I wanted to talk with you about that because uh, most of the things I, I've seen talked, I mean, written about you with, with the eye, I mean, it's obviously a ridiculous accomplishment to do what you did with one eye, but like no one's actually talked to you, or at least I haven't seen about like what it was like playing. I, I, I was having a conversation with my sons about it and, and we were both, you know, to play hockey, as my son said in that video that we sent you is, is hard enough with two eyes. Uh, how, know, yeah. how, how was that as a hockey player, just talking hockey talk now, like to, to be able to do that with 50% of your vision being taken away. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a hockey injury, uh, and I remember we were, uh, I was playing uh, for Kitchener, and we were playing in golf, and um, there was a slap shot, uh, Ken Douglas, uh, one of um, one of them on my defense, and uh, was on was on the point, and uh, I I just I just crossed and uh, made a shot and <clears throat> went towards the net, and the goalie goalie came out, and I went I went to get a deflection and Kent um, Kent had a, a terrific slap shot. He, he could he could really fire the puck. He shot and it ricocheted off the stick and I'm in front of the net and um, I'm I'm looking, you know, for the puck and all of a sudden it comes comes up, hits me and hits the slap right back the nose for open chase. And I remember dropping down to the ice and the next thing I knew I was uh, placed in an ambulance and uh, taken to the hospital and Dr. Henderson was was the surgeon. And uh, I come out of surgery, and uh, I'm laying in my hospital bed in um, um, my, my recovery room. And uh, Dr. Henderson come in, and he, he said, "Mr. Lee, says I'm, I'm sorry to inform you that the uh, 
the impact of the puck completely shattered the wreck in your right eye. And he says, you're going to be blind and you'll never play hockey again. Well, I was, uh, I was just going on 18. And uh, it just, it was like somebody hit me over the head with a, a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. You know, I slumped back in my bed. And um, the goals and dreams I had about playing pro hockey seemingly were gone. I remained in the hospital a couple of days. Then I got out and um, I had a, I had a flash back over my eye. And um, I was just saying I was going to go back to my, go back to my hometown. And, and then I, um, I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm just going to stick it out. And uh, within five weeks, I'm back on the ice. Now I'm a left-hand shot and playing left wing to, to compensate. I had to, Turn my head all the way around to the right to look over my right shoulder to pick the puck up and and pick the play up. And I was always getting the puck and missing the net. And so I just said, Willie, what's wrong? And he said, Well, forget about what you can see and just concentrate on what you can see. And the season ends, and uh, I think you know I come back to come back to my hometown, and then that's when Punch uh, like uh, contacted me. But the, the thing was. I never took one ex- one eye exam the 21 years I played pro. Not even when I went to films. They didn't have eye machines back then, you know. To you know, uh, the only eye machine I took was when I went to get my driver's license. You know, you had to you had to read the letters and the small and the big. And, but all of, all the years I played, I never sat in front of an eye machine because if I had, I would have never played pro hockey, and I definitely would have never played it in the yep. NHL. That's crazy. So you mentioned, because it was your right eye, so you mentioned being on the left wing was, and, yeah. and having to turn all the way around. And, so then you went to the offside, because at least like the majority yeah. of the ice was and, was open to you. Right. In 1965, I, I went to training camp in in, um, in Los Angeles with the uh, Los Angeles Blades, and um, Alfie Pike was the coach. And he, he had about six left wingers at camp, and he only had one right winger. And he said, Willie, have you ever played right wing? And he says, I could use your speed on the right side. I said, no, I've played left wing all my career. He says, why don't you give it a give it a, give it it a a try? So I switched over to the right side. And, you know, now, I, you know, the boards are to my right. And I can be going down the ice. I don't have to be turning my head, you know, looking in the puck, things like that. And, but then, you know, 10 or 12 games, I mean, I, I slipped right in. And then I won the, I won the, I won the goal scoring that year in 65. And, I won it again in 69, only due to the fact that I switched over to the right side. Oh, that's such a cool story. And you, I mean, you seem to be very adamant and knew at a very young age that no one could know about this. And and it sounded like, you know, really oh. knew what, no one knew about it. Your your sister was the only person that you told. And, and, uh, I and told you, my sister. Yeah, and that was the only person. So you yeah. kept that, like, no, again, I, like, I, that's... I, I, <laughs> I swore her to secrecy. I said, "Sis, please don't say anything because if they find out that I'm blind, I won't be able to. I won't be able to play pro hockey. I definitely won't be able to get into the NHL." See, when I when I had my injury and then I got out of the hospital and I started back playing again, see, everybody thought that I'd recovered from. They thought, "Oh God, he's he's back. His eyes okay." But I was blind. I never told my parents because when I came back to play, they thought that I'd uh, I was okay because if I had told them, they would have. They would have tried to convince me to, you know, quit, quit playing. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I said, I can still see out of my other eye. And they went to their grave knowing that, uh, you know, that I was, I was okay. And then yeah. even a lot of people today don't realize that, you know, the 21 years I played, I played with one eye. 
Was that, I, I really love that line that you said already, Willie, where you said, when you had that conversation with yourself and you said, forget about what you can't see, focus on what you can see. Do you think yeah, that's got, a, yeah, a, a metaphor exactly. for kind of how you saw your life just in general? Did you focus on what you could do and not what you couldn't do or what people were telling you, you yeah. shouldn't be doing? Yeah. I, I've been, a, I've been a positive person all my life. I, I always think positive, you know, you, you know, um, within, you know, Everybody, I think, I think we are two individuals within ourselves. We're a person who we think we are, we're a person who other people think we are, and we're a person who we really are. And um, I think that I'm that person who I, that you really are when you go with, go through everything and you know things that things that I've done, and you know that's that's the way I live. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of us spend a lot of time focusing on what isn't right or what we can't do or what people are telling us we can't do. But when we start focusing our attention on what we can do and what we're able to overcome or solutions, uh, right. I believe, you know, it, it really moves us forward. And, and uh, you're you're obviously an example of moving forward and, and continuing on. And uh, I just like that because it comes up in things you say, I think, without you even recognizing that you're saying them. That's just so inbred in you as being a part of you. Um that yeah. you know you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now and you wouldn't have accomplished what you did accomplish previously if if that wasn't a, a piece of your of yeah. your makeup anything uh, i you know anything i do uh, i i any games i play i play to win and you know a lot of people yeah there's a winner and a loser i should i understand that but did when you I play something i want to play to the best of my ability and right. um, work as hard as i can can we can we talk a little bit about your time as a you know I I read you he said pretty much every game there was there was some type of a racial slur said towards you or you had to deal with with something in the pro ranks how how was the experience for you on the team that you were on were were the team were your teammates generally all were they were they good to you were, were like how was that experience yeah, for, they were for very, you yeah they were very supportive they really was I, I can honestly say that all all the teams that I played for, um, all the all the players were very supportive. Well, they knew the type of hockey player I, you know, I could say I could, you know, I could score goals and win a hockey game. Um, and uh, they forgot about, you know, um, the color of the color of my skin, and they looked upon me as just another player. Um, that they were that they were playing with. Did you have any experiences? Like I, I read that you also said that there was no way you could. You could retaliate or fight every time that you you heard a racial slur because you'd be in the penalty oh, box yeah, all, all the time, right? Then, yeah, yeah. You know, back then we didn't wear any helmets, no cages, no face shields or anything. And um, you know, a lot of guys would take shots, you know, take shots with my head. And I always, I always protected myself, and you know, I, I, I fought a lot in the first, you know, on the first time. Yeah, but yeah, I thought it doesn't happen. Not because I wanted to, but. You know, guys wanted to drop their drop their gloves, and you know, I dropped my gloves. I won fights, lost fights. And some guys wouldn't drop their sticks, and they were, you know, I had a couple of stick fights, and and uh, you know, but I um, I never fought one time because of racial remarks or racial slurs. I uh, I knew that I'd be in the penalty box all the time, uh, but I always tried to protect myself and. Uh, um, it took a long time for me to gain the respect of not only the fans in the stands, but players on the opposition. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I, uh, 
but in the in the 21 years I I played, I I finally I finally gained it. I finally gained the respect of, of a lot of a lot of players and a lot of fans. Yeah, and rightfully I mean, so. I went up in the stands. Do, do you remember any yeah, teammates you know, go, going like to have to having your back there or stepping in, in in some of those scenarios where where you know you oh, were? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, with the Bruins, with, with the Bruins, you know the the whole club was very supportive. You know, Don Abusic and Don. Don uh, I played with the Charlie Bruins and Tom McCarthy, and uh, they always watched my back when I was on the ice. And you know, the whole team was. You know, I went to the Bruins training camp on two occasions. They knew the type of player I was, and then playing in the, in the Western Hockey League for fourteen years. Um, there were guys there that were obvious. Uh, I'll be there watching my back. How and much of that? What did that mean to you? Oh, God, a lot, really. Um, they would, they, uh, they, uh, they were always, they were always there. You know, you uh, you you just you thank them, and uh, and and they felt good about it. They, they felt good that they, you know, that they were that they were there and uh, uh, being a play, being another player. Um, that I had the pleasure of playing with. That's amazing. I, I, and I mean, I, it was, as I said, there was, I, I fought a lot. And, but, you know, as I mentioned, I never fought because of racial response. Right. Um, I, I read, uh, I read that Jackie Robinson was a, you know, had a big influence on you as well. And you had the opportunity to meet him twice and what an impression that made on you. One, because you were meeting Jackie Robinson, of course, but two, just because of the type of human that he was and the fact that he remembered you um, the second yeah. time, you know, so Years so long later. after the yeah, fact. Second time in Los Angeles. Yeah. In 1949, when I first met him, and then went down to the dugout after the game, shook hands with him and told Mr. Robinson that I not only played baseball, but I played, uh, I played hockey. He didn't, he didn't realize that there were any guys that played at that time. And I said, yeah, Mr. Robinson, there's, there's a few. And he says, um, well, and, and not, this is what I remembered about him. He says, you know, what, whatever sport you choose, he says, uh, you know, work as hard as you can and, and be the best player you could be. And that always stuck in my uh, stuff in my mind. And that was 49. In 1961, I was picked at the Los Angeles Blades in the Western Hockey League. And in 1962, the NAACP had a Lincoln and uh, Mr. Robinson's honor at one of the local hotels in North Hollywood. I received an invitation to the hockey club, and I went with the coach and two other players besides myself. And when we arrived there, Mr. Robinson was standing, talking to some media people. So we just stood offside, waiting for him to finish. And when he finished, um, the coach came over and said, Mr. Robinson, I'd like to introduce you to two of our local uh, players here, especially uh, Willie O'Reilly newly acquired from the Howard was Canadians. And Mr. Robinson turned and looked and he said, Willie O'Reilly, is that you the young fellow I met in, in uh, Brooklyn? <laughs> so he remembered me, you know, That's all funny. those years. And right. the, the millions of people had, that he had met during, during those years. Um, and, but he made a big impression. He made a, uh, just a big impression on me. And, um, I just, I just, uh, I remembered like it was yesterday. Yeah. And you should. And what a classy individual. I mean, I have a, I have a, I mean, it's not a similar story, but I, I had a story where I got to meet Wayne Gretzky in a, yeah. in, in an unbelievable scenario underneath, underneath the rink after a, after a playoff game. And, 
and he spent time with me. He gave me this stick and I, you know, I was a 17 year old kid who wanted to, who was hoping to get drafted that season. And, and just my interaction with Wayne Gretzky, like how the impact he made on me, because he, he gave, he gave me my moment, I guess, is the way I, I could put it, you know, like he, he made me feel special. He made me feel yeah. like I was a big deal to him. And, and I mean, I, that, st that stuck with me all, all these years, you know, 30 years later. And, you know, the, the contact you had with Jackie uh, stuck with you. Now you're in a position where, where you're making impacts on others. Do you, do you reflect on that impact that Jackie made with you and, and realize that, that there's oh, God, people yeah. that you can affect like that yeah. as well? I know. Yeah, I've talked to a lot, I've talked to a lot of people that uh, that uh, you know that they, they told me that I've made an impact on their their son or daughter um, playing and even uh, on themselves. And uh, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to you know that um, that you've made somebody made somebody feel good. It doesn't take much to to put a smile on a person's face. Um, you know, especially today's age. Isn't that the truth? And it's amazing that we sh we can't, as a as as a group, as a collective, just do do that more. Have an intention of you know yeah. making people feel feel good. It, it uh, like I said, sadly, it doesn't take much. So I mean, why don't why don't we do it? I think that you're a great representation of that. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask just before we close, uh, just about your yeah. I've got I've got another uh, I, I I've got another appointment in about twenty minutes. Uh, do you want to? Uh, um, do you want to talk some more tomorrow? Are, are you available tomorrow? Okay. So there was part one, day one of the interview. We started a little bit late uh, for part one. We really had some challenges getting on, and then we didn't necessarily have a hard stop time uh, scheduled at the start. So I wasn't really sure when we were supposed to end, but Willie was definitely gracious enough to come back the next day, and we concluded here with the last 10 minutes or so of the interview. I got to ask my last couple of questions and wrap things up, and uh, so I'm glad you stuck around uh, to listen to Willie. And, and again, for all of those of you who have helped this podcast grow, continue to subscribe. Uh, a little info on the subscription when you subscribe wherever you are and you select the download the download goes automatically to your phone so that happens and that counts that registers kind of as a point for the podcast and that's how these things uh, are regulated for the most part streams don't count too much but downloads do so if you are trying to support the show and and move us up the ranks like I've like I've been very uh um, transparent about that I'm a competitive guy and I love trying to trying to get into the top 20 here. If you could download the episodes, that would be amazing. That's helpful. Uh, rating rating the program, sharing the program, reviewing the program, uh, those all help a ton. And we'll continue to keep this thing growing. And I'll continue to create some amazing guests for you like Willie O'Ree. Uh, well, like Willie O'Ree. How can you ever find somebody like Willie O'Ree? So I'll continue to find great guests and uh, and do my best to to provide and share their story in a way that maybe you haven't heard it before. So without uh, without further ado, we'll bring you back to my interview with Hall of Famer, Willie O'Ree. Thanks, Willie. Thanks for coming back again today and uh, getting these last couple of questions and appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've got a plumbing problem. Uh, I've got a plumber coming over here in about 45 minutes. Gotcha. Uh, what can I help you with? Well, I just wanted to wrap things up from our conversation yesterday. Obviously, we covered a lot of stuff, and I just wanted to one um, 
what you think that your greatest accomplishment has been since you've retired from the game and since you've been involved with the NHL and working with these kids all across North America? Um, well, I have to say, uh, and, and touching um, thousands of kids um, regarding the game of hockey and, and uh, being involved with, um, with these boys and girls in the uh, hockey swimming program. Yeah, and is there any way that uh, I mean we can be of support, meaning just people who are playing the game right now and are involved in the game as coaches or as families uh, involved in the sport? Oh yeah, I think um, we're getting a lot of the um, not only the, um, uh, the the players that have retired, but we're even getting some of the, the active players coming out and uh, you know talk, talking to the kids, and uh, it means it means a, a tremendous. Uh, amount of these boys and girls, you know, just to um, just to have these uh, these players come out for five minutes or ten minutes, and you know, just talk to them because it uh, it makes a big impact on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, um, the way the game is played now and uh, the, the popularity of it, and uh, you know, and now Seattle's coming in, and it's um, um, the game is you know the game is is, is growing. But um, still, we we need these we need these players to come out. Uh, they're the ones that can really make things happen. Yeah, I agree, and it's great that there is more representation. I know we have to get farther with that, but as far as you know, oh, kids yeah, be, yeah, That's kids right. being able to see um, people from different different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, different skin colors playing the game at, at a high level, then that uh, that allows them the opportunity to believe that they can be there too, and maybe want to put their skates on uh, as, at a young sure. age. Exactly. Is there is there one big challenge you can speak to that's still left to uh, you know still left to kind of fight to get to get more people involved in the game and what would that be? Hmm. Oh gosh. Um, um, challenge. Uh, is it economics? I mean, it seems like it's yeah. an economic thing a lot of the time. Is that is that where it lies? Yeah, you, you have to have the you have to have the interest. That's that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. If you're not interested, you know, regardless of. Uh, you know, who talks to you or, or what, what you're trying to get across to them. Um, if they don't have the interest, um, you know, they're, they're not going to take part. And, I mean, I, I know a lot of the, uh, these boys and girls that have, you know, parents that they, they come and, um, you know, watch the kids practice and, and watch the games. And that's good because it's, it's nice to see these kids, you know, look up in the stands and, and see their parents there. And I know a lot of... Um, a lot of kids, they parents, uh, they just send their kids to practice and then they leave. I mean, you know, they, they're gone and they come back. It's like a babysitting thing. They come back and pick their boy or girl up uh, after the practice is over. And I mean, I know that, you know, probably a lot of the parents are busy, but uh, then they could still take a, a few minutes out to um, come and watch their boy or girl, you know, participate. Because it means a lot to these, these boys and girls. Yeah, I agree. Um, Willie, you've been, uh, you've been an ambassador, uh, for the game. You've been an ambassador here, uh, always representing, uh, first class act. And I, I failed to mention yesterday, but happy, happy 85th birthday. And, and you've, you've said, oh. <laughs> you said previously that you still have goals and you still have dreams. And I think that is amazing. Is there, is there anything you'd want to share with us as far as what those goals are, maybe to sign off with at 85 years old, what it is you want to accomplish? Well, no, well, you know, so I haven't, I haven't traveled since March, you know, since this uh, plan of 
a virus getting started. And he, um, you know, I was going around to schools and and, um, and businesses, but uh, I just myself, I just want to um, um, do what I've been doing, um, going around and, and interacting with these boys and girls, and and, and and talking to some of them that I haven't had the the uh, the opportunity to speak with and, and let them know that you know um, hockey is a growing sport. That, uh, it's a new sport to a lot of boys and girls. But, um, get them interested and, uh, and get them playing. Um, it's, it's important for these kids to interact with, with other boys and girls, uh, you know, in their practices and games. And, um, I see it, uh, you know, I was seeing it in my travels. and uh, But um, I think we just have to, uh, you know, let these boys and girls know that, hmm. that um um, but they, they they have to you know they have to you know stay in school and keep their grades up and set goals for themselves. Goal setting is very important. It, it really is. Is that you're gonna um, tell yourself that you know or what, what you want to do when you grow up and work towards that, and don't let anybody tell you you can't attain your goal. If you if you feel strongly within your heart, within your mind, you know every, every boy or girl has a has a mind. They, um, there's you know there's choices, decisions, and consequences. And those are the three words that and, you know that I use every day. You know that when you make choices, then you, and, uh, you have decisions, and then you know there's the consequences. Yes, well, you've been impacting lives for uh, for your entire life, it seems like, and you've been a, a trailblazer with with many a- aspects and and a, just a shining example of of class and uh, and of what hockey's meant to be. So, Mister O'Rea, it's been a pleasure to, yeah, to chat you. with you, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I've been really blessed. Really, really. Not only uh, I think a lot of it is is, is came about when I when I came aboard the uh, the NHL. Because I, uh, when I retired, my goal was to get back into the NHL, and uh, I knew that I I was going to get back in. I just didn't know when. Um, and doors would open, close. Doors would open and close. And then, when Brian McBride, you know, called me and uh, and uh, and got me interested, that's the thing right there that, that that started. And then from then on, there were just so many things. You know, I had a I had a rink in my hometown. Uh, um, named after me, I had to, the um, got into the Hall of Fame in 2018, and I was uh, contacted by Canada that I'm going to get into Canada uh, Hall of Fame. I've had a calling from the Canadian Mint, uh, $20 for a silver coin. Um, but there's just four or five other major things that have happened in my life, and as I just said, you know, you. Um, you set goals and you work towards your goals, and things happen. And mm-hmm. things, things, things happen uh, if you if you keep, you know, uh, thinking along those lines and, and, and being very positive. I appreciate that, Willie, and, and well deserved every one of those accomplishments and accolades uh, for sure. And we're going to do our part here at Up My Hockey to to get your story out even further and uh, get some kids involved in researching your story. Like yeah, the, I'd like uh, to come and visit your program. Oh, that'd be it's amazing! Yeah. Thing. If this virus thing, you know, settles down, or we're unable to fly, I, I, I put you on the, on top of the list to come out and, you know, talk to the kids. 
Oh, that'd be super special. Uh, we, can super make special. It, we can make it happen. Yeah, we can make it happen, and uh, uh, I'd be more than happy to. Awesome. Well, have a have a great day, Willie, and, and all the best this year. Yeah. We hope this virus clears up mm-hmm. so we can get you back on the road and, and, and uh, yeah. making differences and in these communities. Numbers. Yep, perfect. Yeah, you thank you very much, sir. Down the line. Yeah, you take care. Okay, thanks, Willie. Yeah, God, yeah. Be safe and keep well. Will do. What a story, what a guy. Willie O'Ree, 85 years old, talking about goals and dreams and that he's not done yet and there's so many more things that he still has left to do. And you can tell how much energy that he has. He's, he is a true role model uh, for every single one of us out there. You spend any time at all reflecting on what his life must have been like. One of two families, one of two black families in Fredericton growing up, the youngest of 13 kids, the first to walk into his local barbershop, the first to be a black hockey player on most of the teams he was on, the first to enter into the NHL, on a nightly basis having to deal with catcalls from the, from the crowd and racial slurs and stick fights and all the rest of the stuff that came with being a hockey player for him, but his passion for the sport outweighed that and the fact that we didn't even get into and I didn't go there but with the idea that the NHL didn't really recognize him until 1998 at 75 years old he had done a ton of different jobs a ton of different things in his life but there was no resentment he's not angry he wasn't upset he just did his job and when the NHL called he said yes he jumped to it And he's been fulfilling that position ever since. And it's just such a great story. He's such a humble man. He's such a, he has so much humility. He's so grateful for everything that he's got. And uh, and he really is. He's an example for everybody. From a hockey player standpoint, if you've ever played hockey, if you listen to this program and you're trying to play hockey right now or you've played it, try standing on the left wing and put an eye patch over your right eye. Please try and do that. See how much of the rink you can see and see how far you have to turn your head around to look back when the defenseman's coming around the neck or to see your right winger on the far side. I could not imagine playing with one eye and essentially being blind to half the ice uh, or putting yourself in a compromising situation half the time. He must have had hockey IQ through the roof to last as long as he did, to stay healthy as long as he did. Uh, I couldn't imagine what he would do with two eyes. Uh, and I love the fact that he had him get moved over to the to the right wing where he could see more action of the action and he ended up winning two goal scoring titles over there. So what a tribute, what a testament. He could obviously play the game. Uh, he obviously knows how to how to behave within the game, how to represent the game well, and how to introduce young athletes to this great sport. Uh, I know we have a lot to learn from him. Uh, I know I've learned a lot from him and his story. And those of every single person that plays this game that would represent as a minority, I give that a little bit of a special reflection because I know it must be different. And so now I take a little more time and now I make sure that the environment is healthy, that the environment is safe, and that we are all respectful and welcoming. Uh, Because as he stands for, the NHL's diversity ambassador, this game only gets better the more diverse it gets. So thank you for listening, and as usual, play hard and keep your head up.